Good morning. Happy New Year, Adam. Welcome. Grab some water. Get a seat. There we go. Jimmy. Nice. I don't have my glasses on, so if I'm looking at you and I don't respond, it's because I don't really, I can't read this and see at the same time. I have to make a choice. Awesome. Well, I feel like I have uh, just seeking the Lord on just this year, and there's been multiple words, and I just feel like this is, this is one of them in the midst of it. And I trust that this is inspired of the Lord. And just in light of that, I just want to open in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just run the banner up here today, and we just exalt the Most High God, whose kingdom is everlasting and enduring. Who knew, no man can say, why have you done this or that? Who sought counsel from no one, but does all things according to the counsel of his own will. We exalt your name. We yield ourselves to you. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would shed light on the various things we're going to talk about. I ask the Lord God that this would be good seed. I just pray for our hearts to receive your word and that which is of you. We just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we moved to uh, Vancouver about 12 years ago and we settled in in West Van, Lisa started to get health issues. And to this day, she still has some health issues. And I remember in the time with the health issues, it had to do with her thyroid and then her heart. And this would stop her from being able to do activities like working out. And she would like to work out, she liked to run, she liked to do various activities, but this would get in the way. But she would go through times where she'd feel better and then go down. So you can imagine we were seeking to find a doctor, naturopath, what have you, that could diagnose the problem accurately. We haven't yet found that, but we are, we are still obviously praying and believing God for that. But I believe there's something in the spiritual realm for those who are Christians in the room where you have a walk with the Lord that's like this. You have times where the Lord touches you and you know God is real. There's a conviction that enters your heart. You're full of vigor and faith. But after a couple of weeks, it kind of fizzles. You know that, that boyfriend you're dating, that girlfriend you're dating doesn't know Jesus and you shouldn't be dating them and you feel great conviction, but after time, you're back with them. The conviction's lacking. The sustainability is lacking. The stickiness of the kingdom is lacking. I want to talk about that today as to maybe one of the reasons we are challenged in this way. And like a doctor, I realized I don't really care about bedside manner, to be honest, myself. We've had three of our kids at home, and I remember the last one was brutal. And the, 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 the uh, what's the lady that helps? The midwife was sweetest lady going on. But six hours in, I don't care what her bedside manner was. That baby's not coming out, and it's getting serious. But the doula, who was a hard lady from somewhere in Europe, Got up, kicked things around in five minutes, delivered the baby. So give me truth. And forgive me if my bedside manner is lacking a bit at any time during my talk, because I just want truth. Because only the truth will set us free. Only the truth will set us free. So I just want to speak plainly as the Lord speaks to me. What I talk about today is what the Lord's been speaking to me about my own life. I'm not a person who has arrived 
but a person on a journey who desires to see the power of Jesus Christ as displayed in Scripture in this modern West Vancouver, Vancouver world of 2023. Not content just to read about God's movement upon people in the church in foreign lands, but why not here? There's no different Holy Spirit. There's no different gospel. There's no different Jesus. We have all that they have. What's the problem, Lord? So speak plainly, I ask, Lord. Bedside manner aside. Now, I believe the two greatest influences on our future for each one of us is how we think and what we love, our affections. This is how we navigate. The two are often intertwined. They play off one another. So it's not my desire to dissect and separate in a sense of that they're not, they're not linked because they are. But I don't have time to speak on both of them. I want to speak to you today about the mind. This is not a great definition, but it's a definition nonetheless. a part of the faculty of a person by which one perceives, thinks, processes information, and directs our actions. It's our volition. It's why we do what we do often. Now, what shapes the mind? And whatever shapes our mind will shape how we live, correct? I tried to get a number of people's flags that are in this room today. Forgive me if, uh, if I've missed you. Kuwait, I know. Uh, Philippines, I know. Russia, I know. Forgive me. I was thinking, what do you do to get all the flags? But nonetheless, we know that, that an individual who is born and grown up in these various cultures will be quite different from each other. They're all humans, but the way they see the world and how they live, it makes a, a really big difference. And in this, it establishes a mindset or a worldview. It just does. They have cultures... They have, they have customs they, that, they have, that are established and passed on. And we see this. I remember in the 70s and the 80s when I did a BCom, we were studying that era of when the Japanese entered the car market, how to build cars compared to Detroit and the Americans, and how vastly different they were in solving this problem to make a vehicle with a combustion engine that moves people around. They attacked the problem completely differently. And it's a fascinating thing to see culture and how it shapes us, whether you know it or not. Let's look a little closer here to make it more relevant. See, the culture you grow up in and the culture you live in shapes your views on big things like government, children, raising children, whether you should have children, how many children, money, what to do with money. Males, females, the roles, the marriage, the family, the husbands, the wives, all of that is shaped by the country, the culture with which you find yourself in. Right and wrong. Whether marriage, why do you get married? Common law, life and death. And we see that even in America. It's amazing, even on the topic of abortion, where one state, it's a literally, it's illegal to abort at any age, any stage. Whereas in other states, they want to take the baby's life as soon as it's born. So dramatically opposite within that culture. But it's a mindset that drives that. It's how one thinks about things. Now we know that social media is blurring this somewhat. 
as it's sort of polluting the world because Google's everywhere and Facebook's everywhere and it's almost becoming more homogenous in many ways, particularly in the first world, that this is the way you must think in the first world. This is acceptable thinking on these various topics. And it's, it's my desire today to help you understand a little bit, because I'm not saying I understand, of yourself. Why do I do what I do? Why am I annoyed by that? Why does that... And obviously this is... The culture you live in is one significant component. If you are a person that was in your family life, in your family dynamics, you could start shapes mindset. That's the natural. Let's just jump into the, the spiritual here. I just want to talk about Jesus and the role of Jesus and focus it in particular around this component of mind. Now, he came to reconcile humanity to their creator. He came to reconcile us to the Father, it says. He came to take back what Adam lost. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3? Adam sinned. He was the delegated authority on the planet from God. Directly from God, he was the delegated authority. He came under the authority through sin of Satan. And Satan's dominion took the world. So Jesus comes into the scene and he proclaims the kingdom of God. To this dominion. And he is the federal head of this kingdom under submission to the Father. It's almost like a bit of an invasion that happened 2,000 years ago. Step down. It's a rescue mission, it's a reconciliation, it's a taking back that which was stolen. It's an establishing of something on the planet. He casts out demons. I hadn't seen this before, but he actually says, by this you know, because I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In fact, the kingdom is mentioned 150 times in the New Testament. The majority of the times the kingdom is mentioned is in the Gospels. When Jesus speaks and he sits down in the Sermon on the Mount, he is not speaking from a country on the planet's perspectives. He is speaking from a kingdom, an otherworldly country, I could say, of its perspectives and views, of its morals, of its values, he expresses in his life. In fact, he says, if you've seen me and if you've heard me, you've seen the Heavenly Father and you've heard the Heavenly Father. And he starts to begin to speak of his perspective mindset. And he proclaims this to the Jewish community. And he says this in Matthew chapter 4, after his temptation in the wilderness, he starts out with a very simple statement. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Allow me to embellish slightly. God is invading this place. He's coming. He's taking it back. Judgment has been pronounced on the ruler of this world, John chapter 3. And the dominion of darkness is on limited time. In light of this, it would be helpful to see Jesus' statement as, as almost a, 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 a proposal of surrender to you. 
it might be helpful for you to, to almost look at when you come to Christ and, and we say you accepted Jesus, that's wonderful, or you invited Jesus into your heart, that's wonderful. But it might be more helpful in this particular talk to think about surrender. These repent, these are the terms of surrender to this kingdom because it's coming and judgment's being pronounced. And it's moving like a freight train. You ever watch a freight train go through snow bluffs? Yes, you can waste time on YouTube. I don't know why as a male I enjoy that. But just boom, man. And the freight train of God's will is going. And he says, all aboard. But this is the means by which you get aboard. It starts with repent. Now, repent means change your mind. Change the way you think. For why? Because the kingdom of God is come. Now, we know, and most of us would know that he means the primary sense of change your mind on sin. Repent of your sin. Sin is the biggest issue, okay? That's why Jesus came, to address sin. That's the biggest issue. You may get a great life of, of opulence and, and comfort and peace, but that is not why Jesus came. He came to save you from the penalty of sin and the effects of sin. So not just the results of sin, but the grasp of sin. Now you'll note that Jesus does not imply that only some of these cultures need to change their mind. Peter stood in Acts chapter 2 and said, to those Jews, change your mind. Paul, in Acts 17, before the Mars Hill, to Greek mindsets said, you must change your mind. So it's to all cultures that we preach this gospel across the world, it will begin with, change your mind. You're going to have to change your mind. You're going to have to change the way that you think. God is commanding everywhere, all men everywhere, to change their mind. Naturally, the implication to me by Jesus is that, that the kingdom way of thinking is dramatically different from the way we naturally think. Isn't it interesting when you can get together or you travel to another culture, and even on a human level, how differently other humans think in other cultures? How much more do you think God thinks differently in the kingdom than you're thinking? And I want to tell you that God loves culture. Even Revelation chapter 4, it says, Men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But we're getting down to the crux of what the Scriptures talk about here. Let me show you what God thinks. Paul speaks to us here of our minds. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. How do the Gentiles live? For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This particular mindset, if you look in the scriptures, is called a fleshly mindset or a carnal mind. And Paul will often rebuke churches for being carnally minded. It's what you're thinking. Yes, you say you love Jesus, but it's not, your heart and mind must come in. And that's why you can really love the Lord and yet seem to not really follow him. Because the mind is not being engaged. And you will note the first thing Jesus wants to engage with people is to think. Isaiah says, though your sin be red like crimson, we, I will wash it white as snow. But he says, come let us reason together. Come let us dialogue. Romans chapter 8, for those who are in accordance with the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Now, this is set their mind on the things of the earth, 
You've heard the saying maybe that they're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. This is not biblical. I understand what you mean by it, but it's not biblical. But those who are in accordance with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for the mindset, mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. Do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you can try and serve God with this mind, this fleshly mind, and it's actually not even able to achieve what you desire. And often what we do, instead of changing our minds, we reduce God to something palatable to the fleshly mind. It's almost a bit like Greek mythology. God is like a human, but bigger and stronger. And you see that in Greek mythology. That's exactly what a carnal mind thinks God is like. The call of Jesus is to, that we should adopt a completely new way of thinking. Just as if you went to another culture and you still tried to live like in a Canadian and the culture is diametrically opposed to it, how well will you do? You refuse to learn the language. You refuse to learn the customs. You refuse to climatize yourself to the clothing. You refuse, and you can see it's no different with the kingdom. Our current mindsets are useless and even contrary to God's mind and ways. See, it's not that we just we ask God for forgiveness and repentance because we've been caught breaking the law. If you watch those crime shows, I mean, the guy's always sorry when he's caught. But is he repentant? Is we agree with God on his perspectives and judgment concerning life and godliness. We come into agreement and alignment with his word and spirit and declares on various topics. The amazing thing when you enter the kingdom of God, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit as your guide in many things is to conform you into Jesus, into the Lord Jesus. And it talks about metamorphosis in Romans chapter 12. And you know how the metamorphosis we're going to get into is the renewing of the mind. So the mind is critical to the fulfillment of what God has for us. The heart is as well. Don't, don't discount the heart. But we're talking about the mind here. Those who have the kingdom submit their minds to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. This is where we get education. This is where we learn about what kingdom is. You can imagine being at Jesus' feet and saying, Jesus, what is it? What, what, what if I, what if I, guy, I forgive a guy and then, then he comes back and he does it again? Should I forgive him seven times? I mean, look at the scriptures. He speaks on behalf of this kingdom, of this culture of this mindset. It's the education. This is what's critical for growth, for transformation. Christians, disciples, I should almost say, but Christians give way to what God's word says on these various topics, regardless of offense. The culture is no longer the dominant shaping force in their lives. Their worldview is that which is more conformed to the kingdom than that which is Canadian. And you see that when you meet real Christians who love Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem to matter what culture they come from. Because we come and blend in as the kingdom is the predominant culture in our lives. That's why often I love Esther. I, I don't, she speaks Chinese. I, I don't speak Chinese. She speaks more English than I speak Chinese. But when that woman prays, the power of God moves. 
We have connection because we have the same king. We're in the same kingdom. We have adopted the precepts of God. And when confronted in our mindset through life of how we're thinking with truth, we bow to it. Look, I'm 51. Dad beat me from the day I was born. Six boys in our family, six boys in eight years. Grew up fairly poor. I've seen poverty in the world, so I can't say poverty, but poor. Dad was violent, saw him punch mom in the head, saw him beat. So you can imagine that left a mindset. God is my father, so that means he's going to beat me. So even my association with the word is gone. So God, through it, brings about repentance, a changing of mind, a changing of the way I think to be conformed into a son or a daughter of God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, your bodies, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Interesting. I thought worship was what we just did. I thought worship was about singing and raising our hands. Don't limit it. The Bible doesn't limit it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Who doesn't want to know the will of God? Which is good and pleasing and perfect. I thank God I am not the man my wife married. I'm still shocked she married me. And I'm not saying that to be facetious. I was an animal. (laughs) Violent. Yeah, anyway. I was a beast as a result of what happened. But I am so thankful that I look back and the transformation I see in my own life to actually love people, to actually be concerned about people. The transformation, I look back and I'm I'm not that guy. Why? Because of transformation through the mind, through repentance, through adoption. But God says, forgive your father. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. Just do it. I'm waiting for the feeling. Okay, repentance is I adopt God's perspective on my father. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I forgive him of his sins. Bless him, Lord. I will not. It's a, it, that's repentance. It's adopting God's perspective. It's not just saying I'm sorry, but it's coming into alignment going, I agree. Unforgiveness is wrong. Not just God thinks that, I think it too. It's an adoption. It's not like always under this law of, oh shoot, I wish I could cheat on my wife, but it says don't commit adultery. What? You don't cheat on your wife because you love your wife. And you agree with God's precepts and God's ways. Amen? Okay, when do we get to the good part? Yes, I believe most people in cinema in the cinema here, would agree with me so far. It's pretty straightforward, Nick. Yeah, I've heard this before. But I want to go a little bit deeper into Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Greek tense here is important. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it is called the present imperative. And I know we're all Greek students, so you'll know what that means. This is extremely important. The tense is a command to do something in the future and involves continuous or repeated action. So Jesus is saying, look, repent and go on repenting. Change your mind and you will continue to change your mind for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's an ongoing process. 
Repentance is not a singular event, but an ongoing continuous position of submission before God in the acknowledgement that His ways and thoughts are superior to ours. And in light of this, we give way to His thoughts and way to His perspectives concerning life and godliness. This is a choice. If you ever see somebody like this, repent, repent, that is not repentance. Repentance is an engagement of the will. When you find yourself before God and you come in to go, I see that's wrong. Now you've seen a guy repented. Repented a while ago. Well, it was 1984. I think it was the winter. I repented. Well, have you done any changing of the mind since then? Have we changed any of our minds? When's the last time you changed your mind? Because the kingdom of God seems to be a lot about changing the mind, being conformed. Now, to me, if I can step on a few toes with my bedside manner. I think many of us in here would esteem marriage. We would esteem the the role of marriage, the need for marriage in a culture, the need for its place, the the tearing down of marriage, the the cultures against it. And we say, no, no, we, we, we agree marriage is good and marriage should be esteemed. Then may I ask, why is the person you're living with not your husband? Why is the person you're living with not your wife? Why is the person you're sleeping with not your husband? Why is the person you're sleeping with not your wife? On one hand, you esteem these things. On the other hand, you live completely different. How many of us would say that the Bible is clear? Pornography is wrong. Exploitation of women, a myriad of different things, sex trafficking. Then why do you keep looking at porn? This is a disconnect. There's this, this, this is the reason we're up and down, double-minded, the Scriptures speak of. It's better to give than receive. Amen, Nick. Why are you so stingy? Why do you not give? Do you, do you see that? Because you, you, you can have the theology, the doctrine, but the conviction, the repentance is what is needed. You can regurgitate all aspects of doctrine and good theology, but that is the beginning. That's the information that's laid to now what will you do when confronted by it? Will you change your mind? This is not the repentance Jesus speaks of. This is not the repentance that Jesus commands. Dare I say, remember when you think about it is about an uh, invasion? Even Paul in Acts 17 says before Greeks, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Commands. To change your mind. This is the repentance I believe that we're speaking of. Paul gets into this. And maybe I'll just go back a bit so you can listen to me. Paul rips into a guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The dude is in some weird sexual sin. And the church is actually applauding it. Sound familiar? Just some weirdness, right? Just, just depravity and so on. So Paul rips into him and says, kick the guy out. He said, whoa, 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 Paul, where's the love? Paul says, I got nothing to do with judging the world, but judging inside the church, I do. And he says, kick the guy out. And he, so, so this is what happens. This guy now responds with real repentance to this in 2 Corinthians. And this is what Paul said, because Paul knew he was pretty harsh, pretty direct. He even said, should I come with a stick? He's like, woo, I'd like to see that. 
I am not sorry that I sent a severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For this kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. What is sin? Missing the mark. You missed it. You're in sin. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Often we feel sorrowful for the effects of sin, but not repentant of the sin. I remember when I was in various sins and enslaved to them, I hated how it made me feel, but I seemed to go back to it like a dog returning to its vomit. In other words, I was like, this is repulsive, and vomited up. And, but then after time, because I was double-minded. Who's going to land it here? Where do we start today? I think we need to start with this. This is Jesus. And this is what Paul says, Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Humility is sorely lacking in the culture. Go on YouTube. You'll have some 25-year-old guy spitting what he calls facts, and he knows nothing of life. I have some Christian channels I watch, and they just pontificate. There's no humility. The beginning is humility. It's this is what's in Christ. And humility led to obedience. Do you know that the Lord says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? If he is Lord Jesus to you, it means you obey him. It's implied in the sentence. Who's your Lord? The one you obey. Humility is a key starting place for all of us. Lord, I am not fulfilling the call of God in my life. I have got sin in my life. I've got unforgiveness. Start with reality. Allow the light of God into your life. I'm a broken man. I still got bitterness. It's still there. It still comes up. I got a foul mouth, say. How can salt water and fresh water come from the same story? I believe cursing is wrong, and yet I curse. I believe slander is wrong, yet I slander. Lord, help me. Who will free me from this body of this death? Who will free me? But thanks be to God, the law of life in Christ Jesus overcomes this. But you must be real with God. Not a hiding, not a religious veneer, a checklist of all the doctrine we believe, but there's no reality in our lives, and our lives show we actually don't believe it. Getting drunk's wrong. I get drunk all the time. What? This is the starting place for all that God has for us. It's alignment. It's a position. Is a place before God. Is honoring him with the honor he deserves. Do you know that anyone I read in scripture that, I should say most because I can't recall everything, but 
most of the times that I see people that actually stand before God, the presence of God, the glory of God, fall as dead men. How can we even conceive of such glory? By the mind of the Spirit, we can. By God's Spirit and the mindset of the Spirit. It says, hey, Paul says, look, the mind of the flesh knows the thoughts of the flesh, the heart of the flesh, because it's from man. And so the Spirit of God knows the depths of God, the things of God, the mysteries of God. You're like, oh, I guess we're hooped. He goes, no, but you've been given that Spirit that you might know all things freely given you by God. All starts with the thinking, the right thinking. To say to the potter, Lord, I am your clay. Let your fingers roll over me as you would do. To take a place and to accustom and climatize ourselves in a place that's comfortable with change. Changing of our minds. To stop being defined by what happened to you 20, 30, 40, 5, a year ago. COVID, you don't know how COVID treated me. I get it, dude. I'm not downplaying it all. I'm just saying if we want victory, we must adopt the perspectives of the kingdom. The mindset on the flesh is death. The flesh profits nothing. Cursed is he that puts his strength in the arm of the flesh. The flesh is useless. That's why circumcision was used. It's actually cutting away of the flesh. It represents cutting away. It's, not, it's no good. It's dead weight. To no longer be defined by all the abuses of your life, by your culture, but being kingdom-minded, kingdom-cultured, living, breathing, adopting the principles of the Scripture, the ways of God, the thoughts of God. How does God think? Stand with me, if you please. You guys want to? This is scripture I think of, and there are many. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we stand. Your scripture clearly tells us that all things are naked and lay bare before whom we must give an account. We don't bluff you. We lift our hearts, our minds, our intentions, our affections to you. We desire to live life and life to the fullest. We desire to have your name great in our communities. We desire to have your name great in our families. Start with us, Lord. We want sincerity and truth in our lives. We don't want to believe one thing and yet live another. Choose you this day whom you will serve. So Lord, I just pray you just draw men and women. Draw each one, Lord. Wash over us, Lord. Point out the errors of the culture which are invading and choking and robbing us. The mindset of the world, the mindset of Vancouver, the mindset of the various worldly things, the carnality, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. I'm just going to sing this song and just says, just allow, Lord, we just ask that you work upon us. Lead us, Lord. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance.